Amen. There is a lot going on at this church, isn't there? I mean, it just keeps kind of stacking up. And here's the deal. You don't have to be a part of absolutely everything that's going on. That's, that's not necessary. There's just enough going on that there is something for you to be a part of, and we want to encourage you in that. Um, I am so excited. Um, we had our trainer meeting yesterday with the uh, Hope Food Pantry across the, the hall there. That's going to open this coming Saturday from 9 to 11. Um, I'm really stoked about that. Um, we've been talking about this serving tree for quite a while now. Um, uh, I don't know how many of you are, have been with us. Way back in the day, we did something called Power Love. Um, we actually printed a bunch of lottery tickets, but they were totally resurfaced and they were scratch-offs. So you would take one of these tickets, and I still have them, some of them in my, my desk, but you scratch off one of the squares and it says, go mow somebody's lawn or um, take somebody some lunch. Or, and we just turned it around and tried to say, hey, it was going to be about us giving, not about us getting. And so I'm excited about that. And the serving tree is the same thing. Um, so don't go out there and take a leaf. Go out there and take the card that lists some of the things that you could do and dream up some other things. And then go out there and do them and then come back and take the card and don't put your name on it. Just put what you did on it. Here's, here's the whole point. When we birthed this church, I, I, I talked to the man that asked me if I would plant a church here, and I said, I'll do it. But I'm not going to do a church where we put four walls up and we invite people to come in and we see how big we can get the church. I would rather put four walls up, invite people in, and then challenge them that we could go out there and see how big of a footprint, how big of a mark, how big of an impact on behalf of the kingdom of God we could make in Madison County in Central Kentucky, in Estill County. How, how big of, a, of an impact can we make? And we do that by loving other people, and we recognize that love is a verb. Love is what we do. And so if you take that list, and then you, you know, do one and come back. What I want to do is, as the season, because it's not going to just like stay there for a couple of weeks and be a pretty tree. It's going to stay there for a while. I want to see the tree leaf out. As spring lands on us in central Kentucky, I want to see that tree. And every time you see another leaf on that tree, you yourself can stop and say, we are making a difference in Madison County. And it's, it's one of those things where each one reach one, or, or as Andy Stanley says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, and watch the impact that that makes on uh, your community. Well, um, I want to encourage you that we're going to be in John chapter 4. I should have set this up before, um, but we're going to be in John chapter 4. And uh, so if you want to open up your Bible or take your, uh, your, your implement that you brought in, your smartphone, um, I want to uh, talk to you a real popular story. We're in this series called, Are You, Are We, Am I, however you want to word that so you can personalize it, going the right way. So many times as Christian people, we can get together and we can be doing the thing and we can be chasing after God. Over and over and over again in the scripture, you will see people chasing after God. Here, listen, and, and, and I don't have the corner on, on the market here, okay? But they're doing it wrong. The apostle Paul, whose name was Saul, was passionate for God, but the Lord met him on the road to Damascus and proved to him that he was chasing the right God, but doing it all wrong. And so it's entirely possible for us to be so hungry for the Lord, but are we doing it right? And it's kind of born out of the book of Matthew, believe it or not, though, um, where John sends one of his disciples, um, John the Baptist sends one of his disciples and says, you go ask Jesus because John was in jail and he was going to get his head cut off, you know. 
He said, you go ask Jesus, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? This is the same John that said, behold, the Lamb of God. I would not know that it was the Lamb of God, except the, he said, the one upon whom the dove descends, that's the Son of God. So it's like, wait a minute. At one point, John's going, that's the Son of God. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years, and he's like, hey, am I getting this right? If John the Baptist has enough humility to stop and say, God, am I doing this right? then we should as well. And there should be a place where we stop and we say, hey, what's going on? So here's the deal. John's writing this letter, book of John we call it, and he's writing it because he's trying to get us to believe something. So the, the story's important, but what's more important is what is he trying to get you to believe? He's trying to get you to believe something about Jesus. He had, according to the end of the book of John, a whole bunch of stories, a whole bunch of things that he could have written down. But he said, but these things are written so that you'll believe. And we'll get to that before this series is over, okay? So the point is, it's not just an account of Jesus. John's trying to get you to believe something. And so we're going to read John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Uh, we just invite you to come and wreck us. Just wreck us. Just wreck us right here, Lord. Wreck our jobs. Wreck our understanding of you. Wreck what we want to do this afternoon because you're just going to step into our lives, and I believe that. God, I sat over there, Lord, and you just said, so I'm going to do. Here we are. Amen. Yeah, I think you're supposed to say amen when you're done praying. That, I think it's really so people will know that you're done. You know, you can't just talk to God. I mean, I never told my wife, hey, babe, I'm going to run to Walmart and get some stuff. Amen. Like, don't say any more words. I'm going to Walmart, you know. It's like, but we do that. No, or we, or we do this. We close. Okay, let's close our eyes. God in heaven. It's like, there's no place in the Bible that tells you to close your eyes. No place. Believe it or not. Well, Pastor Joe, it's an act of humility on behalf. It is. It is. But just make sure you're not moving when you do it. Okay? So just, you know, it, it's one, another one of those things. But anyway, John chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees. The Pharisees, all oh, those conservative guys that loved God and wanted God. And as much as they get a bad name, I believe they were passionate for God and their religion. But Jesus kind of let them know they were doing it the wrong way. They weren't headed the right direction. The Pharisees, they heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, when the Lord learned that the Pharisees learned that Jesus was baptizing more people than John, okay, that's what's going on, <clears throat> he, Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, now John says, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well. It was about the sixth hour. So we're looking at lunchtime. Okay, just there, there you are. Hours start at six o'clock in the morning, just roughly. And so he's there. It's lunchtime. He's tired. He's wore out. He sits down probably on the well. There might have been a bench nearby. Um, he might have sat on the ground. Paint the picture the way you want to it. In my head, it was a well, and instead of just having a, a wooden framework, it was, you know, 19, uh, I mean, excuse me, 1865 America, and there was a, you know, a little stone thing, and he could sit on the stone thing. I doubt very seriously at all that's what it looked like. I believe it was a big hole in the ground with a bucket and a winch, and it put the bucket down, brought it, and that was it. But I'm putting him on the well. So he's seated on the well. It's about the sixth hour. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Just a simple, hey, would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So he was by himself. Okay? He's seated at the well. He's by himself. A woman shows up. Doesn't appear that there is anybody else there, but we honestly don't know. Okay? Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You're, well, I was going to stop right there. So let me just stop right there. So that's what's going on. All right, now, first of all, uh, it's very, very important, and I told you that this whole series that we're going to do in John is going to be, you know, we're going to focus a little more on making sure that we see some of the things that we don't often see on a Sunday morning. So, where is Samaria? Where is Sychar? Why is this town important? Well, this is where it looks, this is what it looks like, okay? This is what's going on. This is the map, okay? Now, Jerusalem is down in, uh, is down in Judea, you see Jerusalem, Jericho, and Jesus is down in that area, probably fairly close to Jerusalem, doing what Jesus was always doing, and there came a place where the Pharisees were learning that, oh, Jesus is becoming way too popular. Jesus learns that they learned that he's becoming way too popular, and he decides he's going to head up to Galilee, and he's going to go back to where he does ministry. We talked a while ago when we had a, a map up a couple of weeks ago, same thing. That's where he did so much of his ministry. Up there, you know, the wedding was at Cana. You know, he hung out there in Nazareth because that's where they came back to after Egypt and all like that. But look, check this out. <laughs> because of the racial tensions, the ethnic tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans, it was not uncommon when you had to go from Judea up to Samaria that you would cross the Jordan River and then you would go up and you would go into the area of the Decapolis and as you, as you headed over and got past Samaria into Galilee, or in the Decapolis you could cross over and then from the Decapolis you could cross over into Galilee. And, and so the, the, the ethnic tensions were so huge that people would actually do that so that, you know, they, in their heads could remain so pure and so holy and that they would be blessed of God more than anybody else. But th there was a tension that was going on. And this is our story. It's like, um, why is this a big deal? Well, who are the Samaritans? Um, generally speaking, in, a, in a, just a vague swipe for you, when Sargon, okay, um, the son of Assyria, attacked Samaria in 720 BC, he carried off roughly 30,000, I'm just you know, going from 27 um, to, to, to 30,000 people, from the area known as Samaria. That was, that, was, that was Israel, okay? And he came in and he attacked them and he hauled people off um, and he took them back and, and he resettled them in other lands and then the people that he attacked in other lands he would bring back and he would settle in what we know as a Samaria and this was known according to a monolith that they took this off um, as his, his uh, program of depopulation, deportation and reestablishment. So Columbus comes down, Columbus, Ohio comes down here and fights against us in Richmond, Kentucky and conquers us and they take the best of the best of the best all the way back to Columbus and they resettle them up there and then they take the scalawags. Do you know what a scalawag is? I don't know. Some of you are pretty young. You might not know what a scalawag is, but um, you can look it up later, okay, or on your phone right now and ignore me for the whole rest of the sermon because I used a word you didn't know. It's okay. Um, but then they brought the scalawags down from Columbus and gave them free houses, free businesses, um, free stores, free, free everything. They just, they just put them in there. Okay, and then after enough years, the people from Columbus began to marry people from Richmond. And I'm, again, I'm just overly generalizing this for you. And what happens is we don't have true Kentuckians anymore. What we've got is, you know, what some of you call half-breeds or, you know, some things like that. And it's just like mixed blood, okay? That's the way they'll call it, mixed blood. 
And so that's what's going on. So you've got Gentiles being moved into Samaria, the cream of the crop of the Jews being moved out of Samaria. By the way, that's also how Daniel ended up in Babylon. Okay, same thing, same thing was going on. And so you end up with this, this group of um, Samarians. Okay, or Samaritans, excuse me. And these Samaritans wanted to be a part of Israel. And then um, fast forward through all of the, the things going on. Cyrus invites the Jews to come back and rebuild the wall. Of course, he's conquered them. Um, work gets stopped because of Samaritan um, jealousy. What had happened was they got a letter from, from the, the king. They can go begin to rebuild um, Jerusalem. And they go and they put an all call out. Everybody come back that's been deported. Come back to Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild the wall. We're going to rebuild um, the temple. It's going to be great. And so they're rebuilding it. And some people come down from um, um, Samaria here and uh, they say, hey, we want to help. And literally, you know, when, when you look at Nehemiah and you look at Ezra and you look at their stories and you look at the rebuilding and, and they're like, no, sorry. You know, this is only people from Richmond. Only people from Richmond can build this wall. Sorry. And you can't prove that you're pure blood, so you can't help us build this wall. And that created a ridiculous amount of resentment and jealousy. So much so that they began to talk really bad about the Jews and went back to the king and said, listen, you don't understand. These people are a problem and they're nasty and they're awful and they're going to be a thorn in your flesh. And that city, Jerusalem, it's just, it's always been nothing but a problem. And you are setting yourself up for something really bad. So the work stopped. The work stopped. Later on, the work kicks back in and it gets, uh, gets going again, second all call, uh, and you've got all this. Now, again, when you start reading about how this happened and when it happened, man, you'll hear a lot of things about a guy named Cyrus Xerxes, Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes 1, 2, and then 3, and then Darius, and then King Darius 1, 2, and 3. And um, you begin to say, hey, um, when did all of this stuff happen? And a lot of it happened within the first year, two years, whatever. And they'll say, in the second year of King so-and-so. Well, then everybody wants to know, was it one, two, or three? And so they wrestle back and forth a little bit. So I've just given you an overview of what created, just an overview of what created the racial tensions, the ethnic tensions between the Samaritans and the Jews. And so when Jesus comes into Sychar, the plot of land, whoa, way back there, given to Jacob, Jacob gave to his son, and it's like, wait a second, and he Jesus shows up instead of crossing the river and going up and then crossing the river. He takes the shortcut right through Samaria. And he sits down on the well, in my version, sits down on the well and a woman comes out at lunchtime. Jesus is tired as he was from the journey. Sends the disciples into town, go into sidecar, see if they got a McDonald's. We, unless this was the Sabbath, really what we'd say is go see if they've got a Chick-fil-A, right? Because it was Jesus' chicken. And, you know, we got to do it right here. And the disciples were gone. And he starts to have this conversation with this Samaritan woman. And he says, hey, would you give me a drink? And she begins to answer him. And it's like, wow, are you for serious? Are you serious? You want to talk about ethnic problems. John chapter 4. Many are from the Samaritan. Oh, excuse me. Um, I'll get to that one there. But 
um, we, we have this backstory, and this, this woman um, says, hey, um, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus says, hey, um, they go back and forth, if you knew who I was, and she says, well, give me this living water, and he, he refers to his own relationship to her, and, and that, that's what's going to give her living water. And, and she doesn't understand that, then they have a conversation about, he says, hey, go call your husband, and, and uh, she says, I have no husband, but she stops right there. You know, she wants to tell a partial truth. She doesn't want to tell the whole truth. And so she tells a partial truth, hey, I don't have a husband, and Jesus surprises her and says, <laughs> you've had five husbands, and the man that you have now is not your husband. And I don't think he was sarcastic. I don't think he was mean. I don't think he was ugly. I think he just opened the door and said, I need you to know what I know. And I know that you've had five husbands, and the man that you have right now is not your husband. And then they have this discussion about, you know, when the Lord's going to come, where can we worship the Lord? And um, the, the mountain there, uh, Mount Gerizim is there. And because they were not allowed to be a part of what was going on in Jerusalem hundreds of years before, they decided they were going to set up their own um, altar, their own worship there. And they tried to mimic it after that. And, you know, you Jews say we have to worship in Jerusalem and we say we can worship here. And Jesus, you know, answers her and says, no, 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 no. Um, and then he says, uh, or she goes into town and she says, come out and see a man that told me everything that I know, and, and that's kind of where I want to go, because that's where, it, that's where it goes to. Many of the Samaritans from that town, John 4, believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days, and because of his words, because of his words, not because of his miracles, not because of his prophecies, not because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Let me give you a bunch of inferences, um, if I can, from the culture of the day and the things that have been preached to me and the things that I've read. The woman came to the well to get her water at noon. And Jesus was the only one there, it would appear. It would appear that he was the only one there. She came over to the well. He said, will you give me a drink? Generally speaking, as you start the day, uh, a couple of thousand years ago, you go to the well, you get your water for the day, you get a couple of buckets, you bring them back to the house, you put them in the house, and that's your water for the day, uh, unless you have to do it again. <laughs> but it's largely understood that this woman was coming to the well because she was a person who was unclean. She was a person that was just going through men like they were free. You know what I mean? She's just got a husband and another husband and another husband. We don't know if they divorced. We don't know if she outlived them. Um, she outli if she outlived them, you'd be, you know, asking like, hmm, what's up in that house? What is he, she feeding them? You know, what's going on? How can you outlive five husbands and the one you're with now is not, you know, hey, somebody should do an investigation. All right? You just should, okay? Or you shouldn't date her. Don't date her, okay? But there's the situation um, largely understood that uh, she was there, again, like people in our lives, People in our lives that are different from us, that have sinned more than us, that are unclean more than us, are the ones that we stay away from. How many times have you been told by your parents when you were little, when you go there, now stay away from these people? And I'm not saying you don't need to guard and protect and be with your children. I'm just saying, how many times have you heard in the society that we, in our, uh, that we live in, stay away from those kind of people? Stay away from them. Don't go near them. Don't do that. Had a man get saved in this church one Sunday morning. Absolutely came up bawling and crying. And, and he was told by um, people that he had worshipped with years before, years and years before. I don't know if he was separated from the church, whatever. That because he had tattoos on his arm, there was no chance for him to get to heaven anymore. 
And he believed it. He believed it because he was told by reputable people that he should have stayed away from those kind of people. And now he couldn't get to heaven because of it. And it's like, wow, that's what's going on. So what do you do if you're one of those kind of people? Well, you go to the well when nobody else is there. You don't like the side eye, right? You don't like people looking at you out of the side of their eye because you've sinned. Or just because they're judging you. Just because they're judging you. And I just want to say that a lot of people will judge you. But, but I've come to understand this as well. They will judge you because you've got what they want. And so their only thing to do is to be critical of you. Because you won't... Now, they might want your attention. They might want your company. Too often, what they want is for you to esteem them. See? So when you don't give people what they want from your life, they will marginalize you. And this woman was marginalized. You ever been there? You ever been that person that got pregnant before you got married? You ever been that person that, man, you were strung out on drugs because you hadn't met Jesus yet? You ever been that person that told the lie? You ever been that person whose ego kicked the door in because you needed everybody to know how cool you were? You ever been that person that people gave the side eye to? I was sitting over there before the um, worship ended here in this church, and I'm just, just going to do this because it's what the Holy Spirit does at the Vineyard. Uh, those of you on the prayer team, just giving you a quick heads up. You ever been at the well? Because it's what you do day in and day out and day in and day out. And you never expect anything to change. And you just wish Jesus would show up and sit down and ask you for a drink of water. You just wish somebody would come at the time that you go to the well and make you feel like, you know what? You are okay. Because in this story right here, This woman came to the well, and our Jesus came to the well. And and again, if I I go with what I learned in Bible college, that they used to cross the Jordan, go up the Jordan, cross the Jordan, come back in. He chose not to. Even though he's the one that said, go to the children of Israel first. Jesus said that to his disciples. But even so, he went through Samaria to Sychar, sat down at that well, and when the woman showed up, the woman that may have been unclean, the woman that had five husbands and now was, was living or sleeping or had another man, that woman that nobody appeared to want anything to do with, ostracized, pushed away, not good enough to be part of the club, he sat down and said, hey, would you give me a drink of water? When you hear this story, do you relate to that too much? Inside of your heart, does it begin to break a little and you're like, I know that story. Well, this is what I'd like to do. Can we pray for you right now? If you're sitting in this room right now and you feel like, yes, yes, I know for a fact you're talking about me. Could you just do me a favor and come up here so that we can pray for you? And I can get on with the sermon. Because I was sitting over the, there and the Lord said, you're going to talk about the woman at the well and when you get there, I want you to invite people to come forward, Joe. 
And I'm not lying. I'm a little bit trembly right now because I'm like, Jesus, what if we all just look at each other? <laughs> Do you know I'm talking to you? Can I pray for you right now? Could you come up here? It takes a little bit of courage. It does. But I believe that the Lord wants to meet you just like he met that woman at that well. I think God wants to do something in your life today. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying if there's a woman. I'm saying if there's anybody in here that feels like that woman. Can we pray for you real quick before I go any further? All right. Frank, come on up here. Bruce, come on up here if you would. <clears throat> Drew's here. Come on over here. I want you guys to pray for Frank with me, okay? Listen, we come into the, to the house of the Lord to do spiritual things. And I'll get to that. And I don't want to stay here all day, but we're going to get to that. We're going to do spiritual things. Holy Spirit, we just want to say, come. We just invite you to come to Frank, Lord. We just invite you to be here. Right, God, God, we're not inviting you anywhere. You're here. Thanks for letting us be here. Holy Spirit, we just say, do what you want to do in Frank's life. God, there are times every one of us feels like that. God, I speak to the, to the enemy and I say, get out. I speak to the demons and I say, go away. I speak to the lies and I say, stop sounding. And we just say, Holy Spirit, please fill him up in the name of Jesus. We just speak it on him. Just be filled in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. God, put yourself around his heart in the name of Jesus that he might know that you are willing to ask him for a drink of water because you want to do something in Frank's life today. I thank you for the courage, Father, like you told Joshua, only be strong and courageous. And so we just say, come Holy Spirit and be here. Overwhelm him in the name of Jesus. Speak to his heart, what is you need. We just say, come, come more, Lord. And we thank you for this. And we release, upon it, release it upon him in Jesus' name, in Jesus' authority, not ours, God. Not because of our righteousness, Lord, like Daniel said, but because of your great name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Frank. Yes. Hey, you guys stick around for a second. Teresa's going to come over here. Lord, as we come before you, there's a lot of things that go on in our lives, and sometimes they get kind of convoluted. Sometimes they get mixed up. Sometimes we're in a boat, on the water, sun shining, and the next thing, it's just a raging storm. And God, in our world right now, it feels like the perfect storm. Everything coming from a different direction, threatening to capsize our boat. And so as I come before you, God, I lift Deanna up to you, and we just, we just speak peace into her heart right now. We speak order into her thoughts. In the name of Jesus, we just say chaos, get out. We say confusion, get out. We say doubt, get out. We say lies, stop sounding right now in the name of Jesus. We say, Holy Spirit, we just, just invite you to fill her heart up with, with a pure, clean light that pushes the darkness out of the corners. God, she is not unworthy any more than the rest of us are because we were never worthy to begin with. That's why you came. So in that, we stand in your righteousness now, God. We thank you that that's what's inside of us. And so we invite you to set your host round about her and protect her.
Protect her health. Protect her mind, God, against the nonsense of our world and her humanity. And overwhelm her with an awareness of you inside of her right now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You want the rest of this, or you want me to just keep praying, or what are you, what are you feeling? What do you think? Let's go. So what does John want us to believe when we read this story? People believed Jesus because of Jesus' words, not the miracles. And John is reporting that Jesus began to reach across ethnic lines. Jesus was sitting talking to a woman, a Samaritan, an outcast. The number of believers was now growing amongst the Gentiles and even the Samaritans. And he's beginning to put an end to the things that separate us that you and I will call racism that is just um, ethnic diversity. You want to see how they were? Um, the scripture says uh, um, in Luke chapter 9, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven. So, you know, Luke's got a lot more chapters than 9. But in Luke chapter 9, the story takes a turn on Luke, Luke's writing this to Theophilus. And he says, let me just tell you, as he headed to, toward Jerusalem, toward the cross, this is what happened, okay? As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into, oh no, a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. So so he had gone that way. Now he's going back this way and he's resolute. So he's still not crossing back over the Jordan River. But it says the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. So we know he's a good Jew. He's headed down to Jerusalem. If he's going to be crucified at the Passover, then the Passover is coming near. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, that they did not want their Jesus there, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them all? You don't walk up to Jesus and say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire if you can't do it? Can you imagine can you imagine being so filled with hate for some other ethnicity that, that, that just the, being in the mere presence of them and they didn't yield to you, you say, God, just burn them all up. Kind of like the, the story of Jonah. It's like, I hate those Ninevites and I know that if I go preach this to them, Lord, that they're probably going to relent, repent, and you're going to change your mind. So I'm not going. And we have the big fish story. That hate was so strong that these disciples looked at their Lord and said, you want us to burn this town to the ground? Can you imagine if Jesus said, yeah, go ahead and do it. You can't say something like that to Jesus if you can't do it. Lord, do you want us to call down fire on these nasty, worthless, marginalized Samaritans? But Jesus turned, and here comes a big word, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope you, I hope you grab a hold of this. And, and, and don't see it as an awful thing. See it as a correction. Jesus turned to them and rebuked them. Man, if, if, if you go to a church 
And it's not okay for leadership or your best friend or your small group leader or somebody to rebuke wrong thinking. And you're just going to kind of get all up in a wad and you're like, I got church hurt. I got church hurt. I'm not going back to church ever again. I got church hurt. They told me I can't be mean to that person. I got to love that guy that hated me. But then I got to wonder, what is it you go, why you go to church? I want to get closer to God. And these guys thought that they were doing God a favor, and God rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. But we look at this story, and we see John trying to teach us stuff. And it's like, a lot of people came to faith not because Jesus did a miracle, but because he sat and spent time with them. Jesus knows what's inside of a man's heart. But I was looking at this story, and I was asking myself, Lord, what, what is John trying to get across to us? Whether it's the Samaritans, whether it's the woman, whether it's the cultural way they interacted. And, and this, this question came into my, into my head. It's just looming in the air in my office. How much unclean is too much for heaven? How much? How much unclean? had a bazillion abortions, did millions of drugs, sold drugs to little kids, um, trafficked sex people. Uh, I mean, at, at what point do you say, no, Jesus can't ever love them. They can't ever repent. It can't happen. No. At what point? At what point is somebody too filthy, too dirty, too awful? Because here's the deal. Over and over and over again, I see you talking to yourself like that. Really, God, God, I did it again. I must be too filthy and awful for you to forgive me one more time. Oh, God, I screwed up again. And sooner or later, you're going to get tired of saying you love me, God. And I'm telling you, we're looking at a story where God said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. You have not sinned so much that God does not have open arms for you. The woman at the well. I love in the mix of the story, Jesus says, you're seeking the right God, but you're doing it the wrong way. He said that to her. I, I paraphrased it for you. So it fit the sermon. And I can manipulate you a little bit. But that's what preaching really is. I want to convince you of something you may not believe so that you see it my way, so that you'll begin to make decisions. And people will call that manipulation. And I'm just telling you, I want to tell you what the story says and why I believe God says to do something about it. Because this woman, I think Jesus was saying to her, listen, you people are seeking the right God, but you're doing it the wrong way. And he unfolded it for her, John 4, 21, woman. Jesus replied, remember I said before, when he says woman, he's not going, woman. That's an endearing term. It's the same way he talked to his mom from the cross, woman. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. But we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming. Here, here it comes. Yet a time is coming, 
and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And there it is. And you look at that, and you're like, okay, well, look at what John is saying. John is saying it's not going to be about religion. It's not going to be about rules and regulations. It's going about being, it's going to be about being in a close personal relationship with God. It's not going to be about how much information you have. It's not going to be about your knowledge. Get the knowledge. Get all the knowledge. But sooner or later, you've got to sit down at the well with somebody and tell them the truth. Sooner or later, you've got to sit down at the well with somebody that's unclean and nasty and awful, and you've got to be willing to put your arm around them and tell them that God loves them. Sooner or later, you've got to be willing to go through Samaria where your heart didn't used to want to go through Samaria. Sooner or later, God is going to invite you to take the gospel message back to some place where you just don't even want to go. Because he loves you. And you and I need to be putting ourselves in a place where we're always wondering if what's going on in the room is God or not God. I tell you, when I first started seeing the move of the Holy Spirit in a worship setting, I, man, I folded my arms like this and I said, I don't think so. These people are so open-minded right now that their brains are falling out. And the Lord just asked me very clearly, very almost audibly, which one of you is worshiping, you or that person you're watching? You don't have to agree with everything that's going on. But I'll tell you this. It's a whole lot easier to fake worship if we sit and be quiet with our hands folded than it is when we're trying to be a part of something that's going on, even if you're faking it. It's easier not to, but it's a whole lot easier to stop myself from judging people while it's going on. There is a place for us to understand that if we're going to worship a spiritual God, spiritual things should happen. Like he should say, Joe. I don't want you to go any further than this in the message until you invite people to be prayed for and then to give an opportunity. I come in here asking the Holy Spirit to do something to move, not because I want to see some great manifestation of the Spirit, but because I want to see God do something in somebody's life because I want their life better, not because I want something. He can wreck me too. I'm for it. Paul unpacks it for us in Galatians 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are all Abraham's seed. Excuse me. And if you belong to Christ, then you are all Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so real quick, what does Jesus want us to believe? Jesus wants us to believe who can worship a spiritual God. Who can worship a spiritual God? Who can come in and worship a spiritual God. And he goes down through it in the book of Galatians, okay? I mean, in that letter Paul does. Spiritual people. Jesus says to the woman at the well, spiritual people can worship a spiritual God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean men or women. It doesn't mean Jews or Gentile. It doesn't mean rich or poor. He lays it out like this. Paul lays it out by saying nationality. It's not Jew or Gentile any longer in the kingdom of God. Because he told Abraham, I will make you a blessing to all nations. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that 
everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Everyone. Everyone. Jew, Gentile alike. Everyone can do that. And he says, Paul says to the church in Galatia, it's not about economy. It's not for the wealthy only. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not, James says, excuse me, we must not show favoritism. Paul says it's neither rich nor poor. James says, don't you dare share or show favoritism to wealthy people over poor people. And look what he goes on to say. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If if you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? The kingdom of God is not about rich and poor. You are not more loved by God if you have more and less loved by God if you have less. You are just in a different circumstance and that's it. And if God wanted us all to be alike, then he would have created us all alike, and he'd have made us all alike. And I promise you, there'll be way too many Joes running around on the planet. Okay, maybe he wouldn't have made you all like me. Maybe we'd be like you, and then there'd be way too many of yous running around on the, on the planet. See what, what goes on here? He said, and it's not about gender. The kingdom of God, the salvation, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, spiritual worship, it's not just for men. Neither men nor women. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And that's what Joel said um, years before, but that's what Peter said at Pentecost. This is the work of the Holy Spirit of God, and I promise you there were people right there that were more religious than they were spiritual. They didn't want to worship a spiritual God in a spiritual location, in a spiritual anything they folded their hands and said you're all drunk stop acting like this and joe wood relates to that way too much way too much way too much it is not my place to make that judgment it is my place to pray and be a part of the stuff that i'm not afraid to enter into until such a time as i can yield myself to the holy spirit and it doesn't mean it's going to change my beliefs on some things it just means am i willing John wants us to know how to worship. It's a spiritual God. How do we worship a spiritual God? Well, in spirit and truth. And, and to me, that just means integrity. Give, pray, fast, sing hymns, sing songs, sing spiritual songs. Spiritually, as spiritual beings, gifted by the Holy Spirit. When we gather together to worship a spiritual God, spiritual things should happen. Look at what um, um, the Scripture says here in John 14. All of this I have spoken to you while I was with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And then Paul, to his later, letter, uh, in his letter to the church in Corinth, said, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The only reason the Holy Spirit in invests a gift inside of you, it says right here, is for the common good. Now, that's just this particular passage I'm sharing with you. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. What that means is, is for the whole group of you. 
That means your gift is for them and your gift is for them and everybody's gift is for them and your gift should be sprinkled over here. That we are talented, we are gifted, we are, uh, the, the Holy Spirit invests himself in us to the place where we can invest in each other's lives. And the scripture goes on um, to say, uh, to one there is given the spirit of a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another a miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, still to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same spirit, and he distrib distributes them to each one just as he determines, not as the leadership of the church determines, not as Joe Wood determines, not as anybody determines. And then the last thing is, Scripture tells us that John tells this story because he wants us to know where to worship. Where do we worship? I worship at the Vineyard Community Church. Man, I hope not. I hope not. I really hope not. I hope you worship as the Vineyard Community Church. Huge difference. Huge difference. I hope you worship at the mall. I do. <laughs> but I hope you worship as the Vineyard Community Church when you're here. And those of you that are watching online, listen, worship as your church. Don't worship at the church. Worship as the church. Look what Jesus said. This is the spiritual worship of God Almighty. Matthew 25. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. That's worship. According to Jesus, according to the scriptures, that is worship. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. That's worship. Where do I worship? Wherever I see somebody who's hungry and I do something about it, wherever I see somebody thirsty and I do something about it, I'm worshiping God. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. You invited me into your small group. You invited me into your home. You invited me into your workplace. You invited me into your church. You invited me into the food pantry. You invited me in. When I was all alone and nobody would sit with me at the, the table in the cafeteria, you invited me into your group. Your group. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Paul, excuse me, Barnabas leveraging his person, his, his, his reputation to get Paul a seat when nobody wanted to sit with that murderer. And look what he went and did because God changed his life. I was a stranger and you invited me. When was the last time you invited a stranger? When was the last time you talked with a stranger? When was the last time you invited a stranger to church? I needed clothes and you, you gave me clothes. That's worship. I was sick and you looked after me. That's worship. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. That is worship. It's worship. It's not just worship when we sing songs. It's not worship when we jump up and down. It's like that's part of our worship. It gets real when we put it into practice outside the walls of this church or when we're not afraid to give up, get up and, and pray for somebody across the room, when we're not afraid to encourage somebody that's walked in the door, when we feel really weird, but I need to share this with you. And we share it. That's an act of worship. And I love this. I love this. Because this is what we're attempting to do. It's the DNA of this vineyard church. We're going to feed the hungry. We're going to clothe the naked. We're going to visit the sick. That's what we're going to do as a church. And we're going to tell them the truth. 
That was the, the mission 13 years ago almost now. And now we're opening up the food pantry again. It's why we're opening up the food pantry. The food pantry is a spiritual act of worship. As you give, as you serve, that's what the serving tree is all about. How do we change Richmond if all we do is come in here and worship? Hey, I've got an idea. Let's make a list of really cool things you could do for your neighbors. And just please, this list is not exhaustive. Add things to it yourself. But when you leave this, this building sometime this week, do something for somebody else with the intention of writing it on a leaf and hanging it on that tree so that we can begin to see this what can I do for God in somebody else's life thing go out. Because it's our spiritual act of worship. All of these things in John chapter 4, John put in John chapter 4 even though he didn't know it was chapter 4. It was just there in the letter. So that he could let you know that God is here and wants to meet with you. That none of you has gone too far. That God doesn't want to put his arms around you. And say, I forgive you. Get back up. Get back up. God is here and he is spirit, so spiritual things will happen. And it should make you uncomfortable. It should. It really should. Because we just don't walk that way every day, do we? It's different. It's, it's weird to us. It's just a good kind of weird. And all of these things John shares with us so that you can see that God sees all of your past and is still inviting you back into his righteousness. But he's waiting on you. And he's asking you, will you give me, this is Jesus talking to you, will you give me a drink of water? Will you step up? Will you go? Will you invite someone? Will you do it? Will you? And he's giving you the chance to step into it. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. God, as we come before you, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the interruption. We thank you for being a God who's not afraid to come in and take us at our invitation and wreck us. But you're a gentle God and a loving God who will put us back together carefully, but intentionally. God, we just come before you as a congregation. We come before you as a church. We just invite you, God, help us to go. That's a good word today, Lord. Help us to go. Help us to start. Help us to make it happen. Help us to chase after you. Only let us see you so that we're not just going after our own thing. I pray that you would be near to us, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you up to your feet. We're going to sing this closing song. These people are up here because if there's something going on in your life that you're just like, man, you didn't say this, but I would like prayer for this specific thing, please give them a chance and let them pray for you. Don't leave here without getting the spiritual thing that you want for God or at least putting yourself in a place to receive it. I want to encourage you in that.